0: Thank you Ms. Margie for sharing. I do want to take a moment before I get into my message just to uh, say thanks. Uh, Last week, I had the privilege of being on vacation. It's such a wonderful blessing to be able to get away. It's also a blessing to know that you are in good hands while I am gone. Uh, I know that there was a funeral that needed to take place and you guys stepped up to the plate. In fact, I spoke with Ray Flash's both of his sons this week, and they were incredibly grateful for the love that was expressed from you as a church. So I want to express my appreciation to you guys, even when the pastor's not in town, Uh, The church continues to move forward. And from what I understand, Lexi did an amazing job last Sunday, so I'm very grateful for that as well. And uh, I will say that as a pastor, that's one of my fears. Uh, When you go out of town, sometimes you worry about what's going to happen. Uh, uh, first of all, do people come when the pastor's out of town? And if they do, um, are they going to hear a good message? And I'm thrilled to be able to say that you guys got to hear a good message. Well, let me ask, what are some of the things that frighten you? What are some of the things that make you uncomfortable? Just They create a sense of fear. For some of us, it may be heights. I remember when I was in uh, college, we used to go bridge jumping, and we would jump off of a bridge about three stories down into a river. Um, I was always intentional. I never went first. I'd let someone else go, and uh, then I assumed that if they made it out okay, then it was okay for me, and I would jump and aim for the exact same spot they hit. figured that was the safest way to do it. Uh, recently, I had an invitation to go jump out of an airplane to do some uh, parachuting, and I declined, but I want you to know it's not because of heights. It was because it was 210 bucks, and I didn't want to pay $210, but... Uh, some people are afraid of heights, so just the idea of it makes them clammy. It makes them almost begin to sweat. Some people, it's darkness. Uh, Turn the lights out, and there's a sense of panic that comes in. For some people, it's tight spaces where you uh, feel like you're. if you've ever had an MRI, you know what it's like to be in a tight space. Uh, But you you lay there, and and you've got about that much room between you and the, the frame that's around you. For some people, it may be touching other people's feet. Well, there's a reason why I ask that question today, and it has to do with uh, a story that is found in John chapter 13. And today I want us to take a look at that. i ask if you would to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, uh, I believe in the uh bulletin, it says, verses 1 through 17. We're going to look at only verses 1 through 13 today, although the next four verses are valuable as well, so I encourage you to read that afterwards. But John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. It says this, "...it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father." Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now I'm going to stop there, and of course you can continue to read, and you see the discourse that takes place as he and the disciples uh, just kind of talk a little bit. He's trying to prepare them for some things that are about to take place, but we see within this image something that really is out of the ordinary. It's not what you would have expected to have happen on this occasion. Certainly, the disciples would not have expected to see this happen. A little bit of a cultural background uh, for you, just so that we understand what's taking place. It was a very common practice anytime there was a guest that came over to your house in biblical days for an individual's feet to be washed. Now, you need to understand that um, while we take showers and we dress and they, they bathe themselves as well. They, it's not as if they were dirty people. But one of the things that was very unique for them was most of them didn't wear shoes and socks. They wore shoes, but it was different. They wore sandals. And when you walked around town on dirt roads, you know what happens to feet that are only wrapped in sandals? It doesn't matter if you took a bath in the morning when you got up to leave, your feet are filthy. They're disgusting. So when you walked into someone's house, your feet got washed. Now, typically what happened was it wasn't the homeowner who washed your feet. It wasn't the master who washed your feet, but rather it was a servant or a slave who would wash your feet. So keep that in mind here because here we look at a picture of Jesus, the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who in the middle of a meal, in the middle of conversation, gets up and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Certainly, this would have been out of the norm what we see in Jesus is, first of all, a lesson in humility. Even though he knew incredible things, he willingly chose to be humbled. We see Christ's example before us, knowing that he knew the people who were in the room with him. He knew all of their imperfections. He knew that these were the same people who they lacked, faith. Repeatedly, he had to call them out, O ye of little faith, even asking the question, how long must I be with you? Yet here he is, again, the King of kings and Lord of lords, kneeling before them and washing their feet. He knew that they likely had their own agendas. Some have suggested that individuals like Judas, as he betrayed Jesus, a part of what his goal was, was not necessarily to Uh, see Jesus killed, but to cause Jesus to have to move. He wanted Jesus to overthrow those who were in authority, the Romans who oppressed the Jews. Many of them likely came with an agenda. They came and they, you have John and uh, James, the brothers, they're called the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. They come to Jesus. Actually, they send their mother because They were mama's boys, apparently, and basically come to Jesus and say, hey, when you set up your kingdom, we want to be able to sit one on your left side and one on your right side. They had an agenda. Jesus looks at them and he knows their weaknesses. He knows their lack of faith. He knows their agendas. He knew that although they said they were all in, some of them really were not. Now, I know that they will be all in and we'll see God move in a mighty way. But we know that in the coming days, they would actually deny Christ. They would run for fear of their lives and it'd be hard to call them all in. He knew of their coming betrayal. He knew that they would scatter at Jesus's arrest. He knew that only John would be present at the crucifixion, even though they all declared that they would be with him. Even Peter, who said, even if everyone else turns away, I will not. He knew that Peter would go so far as to deny him three times, once to a little servant girl, even denying that he even knew Jesus. Yet Jesus chose to wash their feet. He knew of Judas's betrayal. It's important to note that he doesn't send Judas out yet. Actually, if you were to look down a little further in verse 27. He actually identifies the fact that Judas is the one who will betray him. He knows already that it's going to take place. And he basically tells him, go and do what you've already committed to do. He already knows what's going to happen. He doesn't wait until Judas leaves and then decides to wash the feet of the disciples. But rather he includes him because even though there was incredible brokenness, even though they were the ones who probably should have been washing Jesus's feet, Jesus willingly became a servant, not just to the ones that deserved it, but to all because he loved them all the same. Not only did he know who they were, but he also knew who he was. He knew how great he was. In spite of the role that he was currently playing, he is. He is still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is still the one who created the heavens and the earth. He's the one who designed every human being. There was nothing at all that was created without his involvement. He had already demonstrated ridiculous mastery over everything natural. Jesus had the ability to calm storms. He had the ability to walk on water. He had the ability to multiply food. He had the ability to heal the sick and to raise the dead. There was nothing he could not do. He knew who he was. He was not just a great man. He wasn't just a powerful man who could do really cool parlor tricks, even though I think sometimes people looked at him that way. They wanted a sign from him. They wanted him to, to do something just so they could verify that he really was great. But it wasn't about his greatness. It was about the fact that he was more than just a man. He was truly God. Jesus Christ was the one who deserved to have his feet washed. See, even in his earthly body, he had demonstrated that he was truly God. In spite of his perfection, he chose humility. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 declares that we should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. it was Jesus, but instead he chooses to serve. It's interesting here. We talked about, uh, first of all, the example that we see of Christ. I've often wondered about the shame that the disciples walked with that day. As those disciples watched what was taking place, there, was, there had to be a sense of almost uncomfortableness at the thought of what was happening. Part of the reason was because, well, they were in a little bit of a conversation. There's a parallel passage that goes with this. It comes from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22. And in this passage, it's the Last Supper. The disciples are eating with Jesus. And as the the meal is coming to a close, they end up in a conversation. And we read in verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest now we're we're talking about i want you to picture the room for a minute jesus is sitting there and then he's got disciples probably on both sides of the table and everybody's just kind of sitting around and you begin to hear this conversation amongst these disciples Don't you remember when Jesus sent us out to heal the sick? I think I must have healed at least 25 or 30 people that day. Suddenly, James and John chime in. Well, that's nothing. We cast out all kinds of demons that day. Philip interrupts. Yeah, but weren't you also the ones who needed Jesus to come in and to finish the deal because you couldn't cast out one of the demons? Peter adds, you guys are just playing for second place anyways. You're wasting your time. I'm the one that Jesus said he was going to build his church around. And besides, I don't think any of the rest of you guys walked on water. Of course, real quick, Thomas responds, but we didn't see anybody else sink in the water either. And as they begin to argue amongst themselves about which one is truly the greatest, there's a sense of silence. Jesus doesn't say anything. Instead, he simply gets up. And you picture, I don't know how long he probably listened to the conversation. By the way, he knew even if they were whispering to try to keep him from knowing about it, he knew what they were talking about. Jesus simply gets up, takes off his outer garment, walks over, grabs some water, And a towel. Then he gets down on his hands and knees. In front of the disciples. And he begins to wash their feet. I want you to understand how much shame they had to feel in that moment. Here they are. They are debating as to which one is the greatest. It's as if. There is something about them that makes them better than anybody else in that room or outside of that room. Do they not remember who they were? These were common, ordinary fishermen. These were individuals that they would have been just like everybody else if Jesus hadn't chosen to reach into their lives and to offer them the opportunity to be something incredible. And their debate is, which one is the greatest? And the debate involves them looking at themselves instead of looking to the one who truly was the greatest there in their midst. I would suggest to you that their debate over who was the greatest, they were looking at the wrong things. They were asking the wrong questions. See, it's not as if there's a part of me that thinks Jesus has kind of taken his his name out of the hat. He doesn't want them to consider him the greatest, but he already knows that he is. I think instead what he's really doing here is he is saying, you worry about who the greatest is, and I don't think anybody really cares who the greatest is. What are you going to do with the opportunities and the blessings that God has given you? You look at people around you sometimes and you, you look at those who perhaps they're broken and you think to yourselves, well, I'm just glad I'm not like that guy. Are you not? Are you really any different from the world around you? The truth is, except for the grace of God, that's you. Every one of us. Look, look around you in church this morning. We worry so much about what other people think of us, what we wear, and we put on this big smile on Sunday morning because we want to make sure everything looks good and nobody knows that there is a sense of brokenness within us because we want them to think that maybe we're better than what we really are. (laughs) Jesus doesn't care who the best one is. He says, but here I am as the master As the creator of heaven and earth. And I'm going to get down on my hands and knees. And I'm going to wash your dirty, stinky feet. What an incredible heart of service. He knows them, He knows Him. He says, I don't care. Because I am here to serve. Imagine the shame that they must have felt as Jesus knelt down and washed their feet. We see also within this passage not just a lesson in humility, but there's also a lesson in holiness that maybe sometimes we miss out on. This lesson in holiness is incredibly important. Uh, Many of you probably are familiar with the song. It's a great hymn, one of the most beautiful hymns of the church. Are you washed in the blood? in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? To be washed in the blood of the Lamb is the most important thing that any of us could experience. Because the truth is, we are all just like everybody else, except we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. He has chosen to redeem us and to forgive us. We see very clearly as Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, he gives them symbolically an image that he alone can truly cleanse us. The words that he states to Peter, unless I wash you, unless I cleanse you, you have no part with me. He very openly declares he is the only one who can truly cleanse us. Many of us have spent years trying to get things right. We've spent years trying to fix things that are broken to get the dirt that doesn't belong in our lives out. And we've tried to do it ourselves. And Jesus says, unless I cleanse you, you have no part with me. We see very clearly throughout the scriptures that this image of cleansing is associated with the Christian life in two particular ways. One is specifically in this issue of salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul lists a bunch of immoral behaviors and then he says in verse 11, And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All of the things that are identified there, there are idolaters, there are those who are committing adultery, those who are liars. There's all kinds of individuals that are listed. He says, and that's what you were, but you were cleansed. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been cleansed, you have been sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And then in Titus 3, 5, we read, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Paul is declaring that he has been cleansed. Now, remember who Paul is. Paul is one who he knew sin. He was the chief of sinners. That's how he refers to himself. He knows that he deserved justice and punishment. He knew the filth that was in his life, even if it was unintentional. Yet Paul also knew what it was to be cleansed. He declares he has saved us through the washing and rebirth of renewal by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to begin by telling you today that if if you do not experience that cleansing that can only come through Jesus Christ you also cannot experience eternal life as Jesus Christ alone has promised. He is the only one who can cleanse you of your sin. He's the only one who can give you a new way. He's the only one who can make things right. I encourage you, you ought to try to do good. You ought to try to avoid lying. You ought to try to avoid cursing. You ought to try to avoid drinking and all of the other things that you could talk about. But when it comes down to it, Jesus Christ alone, is able to cleanse you. All of your goodness is not good enough, but through Jesus Christ, he can still be clean. Now, I told you that there are two aspects where we see this cleansing. The first one is with salvation. The second one is with sanctification. And when I use the term sanctification, I'm talking about what you experience in your daily walk. As you walk with Christ, you ought to grow with Christ. You ought to continually be being made new. 1 John 1.9 is a verse that I have quoted often to you. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will cleanse us if we will confess to him. What's interesting is that as 1 John is written, it would not have been written to the non-believer. It would have been written to those who are already in Christ, those who have already entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, those who have already been cleansed. They've already gone through this 1 Corinthians 6, 11, where it says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking to individuals who know what it is to be cleansed by a holy God. So why would they need to be cleansed again? The reason is because in our daily walk, we walk in a filthy world. And much like those disciples who walked the streets in their sandals and the filth of the world would gather on their feet, it is very possible that we in the body of Christ can be impacted by the filth of our world. There are times that we simply need to go back and declare to our God. Father, I am still a sinner. And I need your grace. I have fallen short. And I need you to make me holy again. You know, as I look at the image here with Peter and Jesus. I believe that that mirrors this washing for salvation and washing for sanctification remember as Peter sees Jesus washing feet. I don't know who the first one was. Maybe he had already washed James and John's feet and Peter just happened to be the next one. It doesn't tell us any of that. But when he gets to Peter, Peter's very quick. No, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And you almost picture him saying, okay, we're debating who the greatest is and I know it's you. So Tell you what, let's switch places and I'll wash your feet instead. So he begins to almost argue with Jesus over this, which by the way, Peter had a little bit of an issue with this. There were multiple times where Peter would almost argue with Jesus. Just before then, uh, Jesus was talking about going to Jerusalem where he would be crucified. And Peter basically says, no, Lord. And Jesus has to tell him, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter had a little bit of an issue here where he thinks he knows what the best way is and therefore I'm going to correct you. Do you really think Peter's the one to correct Jesus? Actually, do you think any of them were the ones to correct Jesus? But Peter begins to argue with him. No, no, Lord, you are not the one who should be washing my feet. Maybe he's looking around for another servant. Maybe there's someone else in the room. There's a slave that uh, maybe they just happen to be watching. And, you know, why don't you let Joe over there do it? Because he's the one who should be doing it. Making sure Joe's not sitting over here as I pointed that way. Peter begins to argue with him. And Jesus says, no. I have to cleanse you. In fact, if I don't do this, you can't really have a part in me. As Peter comes to the realization that it's going to happen. He says, well, okay, but if you're going to cleanse me, I don't want you to just do my feet. I want you to do my hands. I want you to do my head. I want you to do my, my whole body. I want to be made clean. I want to... Jesus says, you don't need all that. You've already had a bath. Let me tell you today that you who are in the body of Christ... You have been made clean by the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ. But there may be times that we still need our feet to be washed again. Because the filth of the sin of this world, simply us walking our daily lives, it can become a burden. And it can overwhelm us. We see within The story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, an incredible lesson in humility. Man, if anybody should have been served that day, it should have been Jesus, but he chose to serve. We see a lesson in holiness, but we also see a lesson in helpfulness. What do I mean by a lesson in helpfulness? I think at times we have almost gotten things a little backwards in the church. We have come to the church with this idea that we are here to be served by the church. But we are the church. We are here to serve so that we can actually be helpful to others. So that we can be helpful to the body of Christ. I celebrated you guys at the beginning, and I really, I think it's amazing the way you guys loved on Ray Flash and his family. I really do. I think that that's what a body of Christ is supposed to do. The church is supposed to be there for one another, to encourage, to comfort, to support. Actually, there were those who even after he had died, because we didn't get word until the next morning, there were people who were showing up at the hospital long after the death took place. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. But there are times that we approach church from a slightly different perspective. We want to know what the church is going to do for us. You guys have all heard the, the statement, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Well, ask not what the church can do for you, but ask what you can do for the church. I believe today that every person who is here is here because God called you to this place. I believe that God brought you into this setting, in this environment, so that he could use you in a different way. You see, there are things that we can do together that if we do not have each other, it simply doesn't have the impact. We are the body of Christ. We ought to be serving one another. Now, I am going to tell you that there are certain things, anytime a pastor talks on serving in the church helping others, there are certain go-to items that always get mentioned. Children's ministry, uh, the nursery, there are all kinds of places where people serve. I'm so grateful for those who simply serve, not because the pastor guilted them into it, so I don't even want to get on my list of things today. But I want to encourage you to be a servant who simply says, what can I do to bless others? One of the greatest highlights for me with us starting our new service that we started back in the fall was individuals who came to me and said, Pastor, I don't want to participate in that service, but I want to serve. I want to do whatever it takes to help make that service successful so that we can reach more people for Christ. I believe today that when we take on that heart, I believe that God will do something great through this church. But here's the thing, and and they they all kind of go together. If we don't have that heart of humility, it's likely that the heart of holiness is probably not as present as we would like to think. And at the same time, that heart of helpfulness is likely not going to be there either. Because remember, we think we should be served rather than us serving other people. They all... They're interconnected with each other. I don't know where you are today. I believe today that we are called to be holy. We are called to be humble and we are called to be helpful. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 9 says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. Not because the pastor guilted you into something, but because you know that it's right. Maybe some of you here today have experienced the washing that is made possible through Jesus Christ already. Maybe you have been cleansed. You've had your bath. Maybe today some of you need, once again, to be washed. Not all over again. Not to have your hands and your feet washed. But maybe the sin of our world has simply caused us to once again have to come before the Lord and confess our sins, who is faithful and just, and will forgive us of our sins. I'm going to open the altar in a minute, but we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, Often we just, we have people raise their hands, or we have people come up and pray. And actually, I would like the privilege, if there are those who perhaps they would like to come forward and receive this, uh, we're actually going to wash some feet this morning. Uh, Lexi is going to help me with that. Part of the reason for that is um, sometimes ladies wear skirts. I don't want to be down there washing your feet. Um, She's going to wash the feet of any of the ladies that would like to come forward. And then I would like to wash the feet of any of the men who would like to come forward. You know the things that have been taking place in your life. And maybe today... You've already had the cleansing. Maybe you've already had that moment where you said, Lord, I need you to wash my feet all over again. And if you have, that's awesome. By the way, there are some denominations that practice the act of foot washing as one of their sacraments. So while this may seem somewhat foreign to us because we don't do it often, uh, to many within the body of Christ, this is actually a very normal, regular thing. I would love the opportunity to be able to wash the feet of those in the body of Christ. If maybe you need to and don't do it for my sake, but the truth is we need to be cleansed. And if this symbolically gives us that image of, okay, I need the filth washed away again, then we should take advantage of it. There are a few that perhaps they're going to come anyways, just because I've talked with them ahead of time. So I invite them to come. We're gonna have a word of prayer. I'm gonna ask everyone, if you would, just to stand for a moment and we're gonna pray. And then if you feel led to come forward and participate in the foot washing, don't feel obligated to do so, but you would be welcome to do so. Father, as we come before you right now, oh, we recognize that there is no cleansing aside from what you do in us. We know that spiritually we are filthy without you. There is nothing that we can do to make things right. Even if we choose to be the best people in the world, we cannot be cleansed without the shedding of your blood. And today, Lord, we come before you and we recognize that it is likely many of the people who are here today have already experienced the cleansing that comes from your blood, from the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for that. We also recognize that At times, we allow the filth of our world to contaminate us. Sometimes it's hard to stay in the center of your will, to stay pure, to stay holy. But you tell us in your word that nothing impure will ever enter into the kingdom of heaven. So, Lord, we come before you today, and we simply ask that you would once again cleanse us and make us right. Lord, I pray today that where sin has abounded, that your grace would abound even more. I pray that you would give us a heart truly for righteousness, a heart for you. Lord, I pray that today, regardless of how great or small we may feel, Lord, that today, that you would cleanse us, that you would make us holy. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Maybe today you feel led to come forward and receive the sacrament, as some would call it, of foot washing. If that's the case, we invite you to come while Margie plays. You may be seated. Body of Christ is that truly we would understand the cleansing that Jesus Christ alone can offer, that we would embrace His grace and as we do so to be able to walk in a world that is filthy, but as those who become a model of what it means to be right. I know that this is a different kind of service. Actually, I debated doing this on the week that we have the uh, firefighters and police and EMS folks coming, but they probably would be scared to death if they saw us doing stuff like this. But you know what? This is exactly what Jesus did. He loved people. And he did whatever it took to simply bring the cleansing that he alone could offer. Today we rejoice in that. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the cleansing that you have made possible to us. Lord, may you be honored today as we go from this place, as those who have been cleansed. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit and you would empower us to go out as lighthouses to this community. May you be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and go in peace.